Listen for a word of God this morning from Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. We're reading from the New Revised Standard Version. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you just say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna to the highest heaven! The word of God. If you told me I could choose one story and one story only from the Bible, the New Testament portion of the Bible, if I can have one story that puts on display the deep-seated convictions of Jesus, I have an answer for that. Actually, this is sort of a pastor's nightmare that somewhere, someday we will show up and they will see we've arrived and they will look to the pastor and say, oh, you're here, please say a few words or give us a sermon. I have a friend who carries around three sermon summaries in the back of his Bible because he knows one day he'll be called on to say a word. Well, if you asked me for that one story, I know what it would be. Now, remember, I didn't say my favorite story with Jesus. That would be Luke chapter 4. I didn't say the most difficult story with Jesus. That would also be Luke chapter 4. I have one story, one story that puts on display disruptive, deep-seated convictions that have consequences. I would turn to the story that we heard read earlier, the day Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem. It's a parade story, and it's nothing new for Jerusalem. In fact, on this particular day, Jerusalem is packed with pilgrims. There are many authors who imagine on the other side of town that Pilate and his foot soldiers are prepared. Pilate, who is the governor that reports to the emperor, so we have the chain of command correct. Pilate on the other side of town with his foot soldiers and their army and their squadrons and their tactical alert. Because when pilgrims pack the city at festival time, anything goes. This is the scene the day Jesus arrives. Matthew records this in chapter 21. If you're opening a Bible there at home, open it right now, beginning with verse 1. There's a way this is supposed to go. It's a parade during festival time. There will be a fight. There will be violence. There will be a winner. There will be a loser. There will be prizes that are earned, and there will be penalties to endured. That's simply how these Messiah parades go. And these are the stories that Hebrew children are told during their growing up years. We worry about the stories our kids hear. 
These are the stories. Likely the boy Jesus heard these Messiah parade stories from his mama, probably the one of Simon Maccabee, the day Simon Maccabee came to town waving palm branches and singing psalms and songs and took back the temple for the people. Simon Maccabee, that was the hero for Jesus' family. In Matthew 21, Jesus leads the parade. We talk about this scene every year around this time, Passion Week, the week leading up to God's great passion on display for humanity. I have an instinct this year, though, in April 2020, I need to hear this story again in nonstop news cycles. I'm having an instinct to reach deep into family history, reach to my own DNA, reach in to hear something from my roots, reach something that will ground me right now. So I'm reaching for this story with Jesus. He rides a work animal into Jerusalem. All right, that's the donkey. The donkey, actually, the procurement of the donkey and the details about the donkey occupies more content than anything else in this story. He, he comes with an army. His army, it's a pack of day laborers who've just come in from the field picking the crops. They are, as one author says, an army of nobodies, an army of anybody's. They are women and children and peasants. That army of day laborers, they come without their protective gear. They have no shield. They have no armor. They have no weapons. They have a simple outside coat on their back, which they take off and lay down. That becomes the road and the, the covering and the wrapping for, for the parade that day. They are um, missing a lot, this army. Nobody's, anybody's, but they do have one song. They have one kind of chant, one familiar rallying cry they can all say together, Hosanna, Hosanna, one word, which really means save us, free us. The request is to be a free people. The request is to have free agency. Jesus comes with this parade into town this day and he moves right past all of the crowds and into the temple. This is not how all the parades go, but this is where Jesus went, straight into the temple, into the epicenter of his faith, where he sees that the agendas of God are being violated and Jesus cries out to the priests and the religious rulers, what are you doing? Telling people how clean they are, how unclean they are, charging them to stand in the presence of the divine. What are you doing? Jesus says, my house is a house of prayer. With those words, Jesus clears the temple. In verse 17, in one verse, the parade is over. The text simply says, and he went away for the night. And that's it. The parade is over. Jesus leaves the city and, uh, and the crowds. I, does anybody going to remember the man from the night before the next day? That's the ending. That's the plot line. It's a little bit laughable. It's, it's, it's a silly, almost like an April Fool's parade, this one with Jesus. This is not how these parade stories go. So on Saturday night, a couple hundred of us registered to do the scavenger hunt. We were on Zoom, first time. It was an experiment for all of us. We had a list that Pastor Dave gave us, and we ran around our houses like crazy people for about 90 minutes or two hours, checking off these tasks, trying to win this scavenger contest. 
one of the tasks was you can reenact a story with Jesus. Choose anyone you want. In our home, Kirby looked at me and said, let's do that one. Let's pick a story with Jesus. You pick. What do you want to do? Let's do, let's do the, 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 the blind man. We're, we're, we're moving so quickly and trying to think of things so fast. And let's do the blind man. I said, you wanted to be the blind man? Yeah, the blind man who gets, he gets his eyes healed by Jesus. I said, with the dirt and the mud, you want to do that story? He's like, yeah, yeah, why not, why not? Next thing I know, he's run to the kitchen sink. He's thrown a towel around his neck and he's ready for the story with Jesus. Watch. This is the story of Jesus and the man who was blind. You're supposed to say, Master, Master. Master, Master. I can't see. I cannot see. Have mercy on me. Oh, have mercy on me. Let me get some mud. Oh, can I can you see? see. I can see like sticks and, and trees. Yeah, it's like trees walking. But not really good yet. <laughs> Oh, now I can see. <laughs> I mean, I mean, first of all, I, I thought it was appropriate that I should play the role of Jesus. And you want mud on your eyes? What? Well, while we're telling the story, well, here's what's going through my mind, church. Oh, the man with the blind eyes, there's mud. Is that... Wait, in, in, in the Gospel of Mark, you, it's Mark, it's told this way. Jesus heals him, and then he heals him again because he doesn't get it quite right. But in Matthew and in Luke, it's, I mean, in my mind, I'm, is this how the story goes? Is this how the story goes? And we're coaching each other. How does the story go? Some of us who tell these stories often, some of us who grew up with these stories, we teach them to our children and our grandchildren, some of us who know portions of our scripture, well, very well. Sometimes we're more focused on, did we get the story right? Like, is that how the story goes? You didn't tell the story right. That's not how the story goes. Sometimes we use a lot of energy tracking down these stories without ever asking, what could this story mean? And here we sit with Jesus the day he rides into the town on the back of a work animal. Jesus, are you sure this is the story you wanted to enact today? Would you like to do it over? Would you like to try again? Because if you wanted to do it again, it could be a better story, right? How about you do it like this, Jesus? You, you come into the back of the town and, and, you, and you teach the people a chant and you fight until the last bloody person is standing. And when it's over, you plant a flag and you mint some coins and you post your guards and you secure the city because the next threat is right outside the gates. And then you look around, Jesus. You are now in charge. Now you go sleep for the night. Are you sure you don't want to do this story over when Jesus returns the next day, remember Pilate and his squadron of soldiers are still the other side of town. They have their, their, their helmets and their armor and they're cracking their whips. And the emperor's still in control. Who rules Jerusalem in this story? Who rules you and who rules me and who rules God? What is happening to God and what is happening to our world? 
These are the points in these stories where we dig in deep. And when we have downtime in our society right now, it's a great time to dig in a little deeper. Look again at verse 2 and verse 7, Matthew 21, verse 2. Because the storyteller, Matthew, really does say, go into the village and find a donkey and a colt. And in verse 7, he really does say, so they brought them and they put their coats on them and Jesus sat on them. Two creatures, even though we know that this isn't really possible. There are two animals in the story and, and the specialists give us some explanation. Well, it turns out that Matthew is following Zechariah and because Zechariah puts a, a, a donkey and a colt in the same story, Matthew just copies Zechariah. Even though we know you can't ride two creatures at the same time, or the specialists say, you know, poor Matthew, he's reading a translation of a translation and he got it wrong and he missed, mixed up some of the details and this happens sometimes in our stories. Which, by the way, is why some people say you can't really trust the Bible because we can find these little hiccups. Or the specialists say, give Matthew a break. Martin Luther says, give him a break. Come on, he should get a little theological license and a, and, a, and, a, and a little prophetic license. Sometimes scripture inspires story. Sometimes story inspires scripture. Give Matthew a break. I don't actually think Matthew needs a break, church. I actually think Matthew knows what he's doing. There is much that Zechariah says that Matthew does not include. But for some reason, when we get to the two, the donkey and the colt or the foal, Matthew wants both of them in his story. I don't think we need to give Matthew a break. I'm persuaded by at least one explanation from John Dominic Crossan. When Crossan says there are two creatures in the story because Matthew wants two creatures in the story. He wants a donkey and he wants the colt, the foal, right beside as part of his parade. Why would Jesus want that? He's come from controversial teachings in tiny towns in the countryside and little villages. And now he's moved into the epicenter, this highly public demonstration, a parade in Jerusalem, the height of festival time. Jesus, he doesn't come into this parade riding a stallion like Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great came in a parade centuries earlier and the religious people, the priests, met him at the door of the temple and they actually surrendered the city and the temple and bargained for their own life, their own safety, and their future. Jesus doesn't come to town that day riding a stallion like Alexander the Great. Jesus doesn't come to town that day cutting deals that throw the little people under the bus. Jesus, coming to town this day, he doesn't ride a stallion he doesn't ride a mule. He doesn't ride a male donkey. He rides a female donkey, not only a female donkey, but a nursing female donkey with her little colt beside her. Because Zachariah said, one day someone will come. They will come with peace and justice. Someday one will come, Zechariah 9, verse 10. They will take away the chariots and the war horses. Someone will come and take the weapons and break them and destroy them forever. Someday someone will come and peace will be proclaimed. That's wellness and wholeness and rest. It's why we say around here, be well. It's our congregational liturgy for this reason because we have a Lord of wellness and wholeness. Someday one will come. So let the two beasts, the two creatures remain in Matthew's story. 
If I have to choose one story to summarize practical, day-to-day, disruptive, sort of deep-seated consequences of choosing Jesus, I choose this story. The day Jesus rode a nursing mama donkey and her little colt. I choose this one. Ours is a parade of peace. Ours is a parade of justice. Some of us will die an old age having pursued peace all of our lives. You can think of people like Francis of Assisi or, or Doris, Dorothy Day, Dorothy Day. But some of us will die ripe still with this purpose. Think of Oscar Romero or think of Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi. It's the theologian John Mabry who says, Rosa Parks is an imitator of Christ, not because she suffered for taking her stand or keeping her seat in the back of the bus. Rosa Parks suffered because she had courage to believe in her own dignity. Nelson Mandela, he's an imitator of Christ, not because he suffered in prison, but because he held out for peace and led a nation to resurrection. It isn't the suffering that's redemptive, it's the courage that's redemptive. Courage to pursue peace and justice in a world full of pain and evil. It's the courage that's redemptive. These are good days for you and me, for us to stay centered in our story of peace as we stand in a world full of pain and evil church. We are all required daily to pick our parade, sometimes hour by hour. Pick our parade, decisive moments. Occasionally they'll happen in the epicenter of our faith tradition, but more likely they will happen in our day-to-day moments while we are safe at home with our own sort of screen-fatigued sanity seizing up. It's in those moments we'll have choices for our parade. Yeah, this week we learn that last week we've doubled the first-time unemployment claims in our, our country, state by state by state, and they tell us we're simply at the beginning Talking with a small business owner who helps us around our property, she told me this morning, I'm on all the websites, I'm looking for all the help, and nobody can get us funds quickly. I've laid off all of my workers. I don't know where money's coming from. We're at the beginning of this, they say. Your pastors, we understand that these are our feeble efforts, week by week, to live stream some kind of encouragement, to live stream a little bit of hope, even while the experts and the modeling statisticians are telling all of us in our country today, we are at the beginning. This gets worse before it gets better. This gets worse before it gets better. It turns out we're familiar with that storyline. That's in the DNA of, of the Christian story. It gets worse before it gets better. We know that story. We have resources for times like this. Some of you have asked, will we postpone four days with Jesus and we'll wait till we can all be together again? We, we can't do that. We have to keep telling the stories. We'll march into Jerusalem, move into Jerusalem this next week because it turns out resurrection happens. Resurrection happens in the most futile, dramatic, traumatic times. 
We know one story here. We tell it in thousands of ways. So this week, I'm going to trust the one story. Even when I have tears in my eyes, I'm going to trust the one story, even when we don't have all the answers. I'm trusting the one story because I witness in Jesus a love that changed the world. I'm trusting that one story knowing that if I imitate Jesus, my life could get more difficult. This week, I'm trusting the one story. Amen.